you were around when I was in April, when I was going through Nehemiah, um, this morning's going to be a bit of an addendum to Nehemiah. So we'll be touching on Nehemiah, but um, what we're going to talk about, you know, we've talked about the story of Nehemiah, and I'll kind of review that for us briefly. But what I want us to see today is that the story of Nehemiah, which is a story of a, of a pretty ordinary guy that God did some extraordinary things through, but he was an ordinary guy just like us. But what's happening with Nehemiah is while his story was significant enough to get a dedicated book in the Bible, that's a pretty significant story, right? Uh, there is a much bigger story going on in the background of which Nehemiah got to be a part but I'm not even sure that he followed the bigger picture. I don't know that he knew the bigger picture. There's nothing that indicates that he did. But what, so what I want us to see is that there is a much bigger story that Nehemiah's story is a part of. And then we'll talk about why that's significant for, for us. But some of this this morning is going to get a bit tedious. And, and so I'm, I'm not going through... So I'm, we're going to go through some dates and some numbers. And it's going to... Don't worry about taking notes and following along. The point to all of what I'm going to talk about this morning is that there is a bigger story going on behind Nehemiah. So if you can just follow along with that part, you'll be fine. Don't worry about the tediousness of it. Some of you, if you're really analytical and you're an engineer type, you're going to find this really fascinating. Uh, others of you are going to glaze over. But the point to it all again is that there's a bigger story. That's what we want to hear. So just pray with me real quick. Father, we thank you. Um, for the, the great arc of history that you give us in Scripture, where we can see you working from the beginning to the end. And we've got these small stories in the middle that are significant, but they're not isolated, that they all tie in to your story of breaking into our world and setting things right and establishing your kingdom among us. So thank you for that. Thank you for our time together this morning. Um, Lord, just ask that you would bless it and that you would teach us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, okay, so as a reminder, remember Nehemiah was uh, the cupbearer to the king, and this is not a Jewish king. This is a, in their vernacular, would be a pagan king. He is the king of the Medo-Persian Empire. So he is serving a foreign king. This is after the exile, right? Remember at the end of the, the biblical kingdom of Israel, everybody got kicked out of the pool. Uh, and we'll talk more about that as to why and so forth. But they all got exiled into Babylon, right? And, and so 70 years in exile. This is after that, okay? Nehemiah is about 94 years after everybody got to go home. Uh, but just because everybody went home doesn't mean that everything was right when they got there. And so there's, there's kind of a three-stage process. And this, what we're seeing is the last stage with Nehemiah. So the three stages were everybody gets to go home. Okay, that's great. We're all home. But they go home and everything's a wreck, right? Because they'd been conquered by an army and the army didn't clean things up when they left. So the walls are broken down. The temple's been destroyed. They go back and it's a wreck. And so they get permission from the king that has jurisdiction over this area now because they're no longer in charge, right? The Israelites don't get to be king anymore. They're just, they've got to say yes, sir, to somebody else. And so they get permission to rebuild the temple. And obviously that's significant to anybody in the nation of 
Israel because the temple is God's house, right? That's where the presence of the Lord is. So they get permission to rebuild the temple. Uh, that happened, and, and that was okay. Uh, but the, the, So that's kind of part two. So they get to go home. Then later they get permission to rebuild the temple. But Nehemiah, you remember, he had a burden for something else because he had gotten a report. Now, Nehemiah for all we know, never went to Jerusalem prior to this. He was in Babylon the whole time. But he was, as any good Jew would be, was very concerned about Jerusalem. And so he gets a word back that some people had been to Jerusalem, and he comes back, and so he asks, hey, what's going on in Jerusalem? They said, well, the walls are in shambles, and the people really aren't following the Lord. And so Nehemiah gets this strong burden on his heart for the people of Jerusalem and the walls of Jerusalem because he sees a connection between the condition of the walls and the condition of the people. So, and now remember his job is he's the cupbearer to the king, right? So he's the one that's supposed to drink the poison wine and eat the poison food before the king does so that he dies first. Great job, right? And you can see why you know, you're getting a Jew to be the king, the king's cupbearer, right? Because, hey, they're expendable, right? So even though it's a significant job in, in, you know, he's got access to the king, really his job is to be the first one to die. <laughs> so, yeah, not something that a lot of people sign up for. Uh, but so there, there's his role. And so his burden is so heavy on his heart. And he's in front of the king all the time, obviously. They've got a rapport with each other. Finally, the king says, hey, What's going on? You, know, you got this, you're down, your long face, this is not like you. And so Nehemiah you know, sucks up his courage and says, okay, I'm going to say it because, right, building the walls is a threat, right? If you have, you know, a, wall, a city without walls is no threat because you can't defend it, right? An army can just march right through. You put walls up around the city, all of a sudden you can defend this city. Jerusalem is the capital of the old kingdom of Israel. What's on his heart is to rebuild the walls of the old capital of the nation of Israel, like we could defend it and fight you if we had to. So this is not a request that you would typically make of the king that has jurisdiction of that part of the world. But he does. Lo and behold, the king says, man, that's a great idea. How can I help? And then the guy goes, uh-oh, now I'm in trouble. Uh, you could pay for it, perhaps? And the king says, sure, here's a blank check. Go build the walls. So that's what happens. Um, so it's this, this ordinary guy with a burden on his heart for the walls and for the people. He goes in front of the king. The king says, great idea. I'm on board. Let me pay for it. Nehemiah goes back and they rebuild the walls. The people come together. The walls get built. Remember, every, the family groups had sections of the wall. and everybody, There was opposition from without and opposition from within, right? We talked about the people that were trying to fight them, that, you know, obviously building walls is a threat, and there were not, not everybody around there was happy about the walls going up. And internally, there was tension internally, uh, and so they had to get all those problems worked out. So there was opposition to this program, and everybody was not waving flags and cheering and thinking, great, but everybody did get on board with it, and they did it. In the process of doing that, the people, uh, they, they got their act together spiritually at the same time. There was indeed a connection between the condition of the walls and the condition of the people. And because of the burden on Nehemiah's heart, both of those things got set right. The walls got rebuilt and the people turned to the Lord and started following the Lord. It was really a remarkable story. But there's a, there's a much, much bigger story going on behind that. And so to, to get a taste of this bigger story, we need to go about 100 years back before Nehemiah. 
the exile, everybody's still in exile. They're still in Babylon. And there's a guy that we're all familiar with who's writing, writing down what the Lord's telling him about 100 years before this. His name's Daniel. Everybody heard of Daniel, right? Okay. So we're going to turn to Daniel. And we're going to wind up, if you're following along at home, we'll be in Daniel chapter 9. But you remember Daniel was, uh, he, he was kind of a, uh, an elite among the Jews, right? His family was kind of quasi-royalty, to give it some, a, a term we understand. Um, they're hauled off, but he was a pretty sharp guy. And so, remember, the king said, I kind of like you. And, but, but Daniel, remember, set himself apart. Remember, the book of Daniel has some of the greatest stories that every kid knows if they've been in church for any amount of time at all. You know, it's, it's Daniel standing up and saying, I'm not going to eat your, your food, king. I'm going to eat just vegetables because I'm not going to eat meat that's been sacrificed to a pagan god. And oh my gosh, if you do that, I mean, you know, I'm going to die, says the guy that's in charge of watching him. And trust me, it's all going to work out. The Lord blesses it. And then we've got the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Everybody knows the story of Daniel in the lion's den, right? So Daniel's a remarkable character. And his friends, he's got three friends that are with him, Shadrach, me, Shack and Abednego, and Rackshack and Benny, if you're more familiar with the Veggie Tales version, uh, and, and they get thrown into the fiery furnace, right? But they don't get burned up, and who's that fourth guy in there with them? So there's some really remarkable stories in Daniel. But what we're going to look at, and this is where it's going to get a bit tedious, uh, in, at the end of chapter 9, uh, the Lord had given Daniel a couple of different uh, visions or prophecies, we call them. And we're going to look at one of those prophecies. And the reason we're going to look at this is because it ties in directly with Nehemiah and his story. And I really am not sure that Nehemiah knew any of this, Uh, but we're going to look at this. Uh, So I'm going to pick up in, uh, let's see, I'm going to look at verse 24 in chapter 9. I'm I'm just going to read a couple of verses. It's not terribly long, but then I'm going to kind of break this apart. So hang with me. I promise there will be A point to this at the end. (laughs) Uh, So chapter 24, or verse 24, chapter 9. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city. This is the Lord talking to Daniel. For your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Sounds like the kingdom, right? We we would recognize this as the kingdom. God's going to finally set things right. To seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Ooh, that should sound familiar. Until the Messiah, the prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. And then it kind of goes on to some other things. So so a couple of things should sound familiar there. The issuing of the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. And then there's this all ties in with the coming of the Messiah, all right? So the 70 weeks prophecy. So we talked about this in Nehemiah. They think the the Jews uh, thought in terms of seven, right? We tend to think in terms of 10 decades, centuries. They thought in terms of seven, groups of seven. It goes all the way back. We talked about that. It goes all the way back to Leviticus. But 
you know, every seventh day was the Sabbath day, right? Every seventh year was the Sabbath year. And every seventh Sabbath year was the year of Jubilee. And so they thought in groups of seven. So these 70 weeks, these are not seven-day weeks. These weeks, and for reasons that we won't dive into at the moment, are actually periods of seven years. So it's not seven days. This week is a period of seven years. So this 70 weeks is describing a time period of 490 years. Told you this is going to get a little tedious. Uh, So this prophecy covers this time span of 490 years, uh, 70 weeks. And so he starts saying, from the issuing of a decree to rebuild Jerusalem until the coming of the Messiah will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So a period of 69 weeks, just short of the 70th week, right? So 69 weeks, 483 years. Bear with me. 173,880 days. The reason this is significant and the reason I'm going into this level of detail is we know when that decree was issued, right? We read Nehemiah. That's the decree we're talking about, to rebuild Jerusalem. Not the temple, not rebuilding the temple, not from the decree that everybody gets to go home. The issuing of the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. Well, in the beginning of Nehemiah, it tells us exactly when that happened. Now, it came, this is the beginning of chapter 2 of Nehemiah. It came about in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, that there was wine taken before him, and I took up the wine again, and then that's when the king asked him. We know both from the biblical record and from the ancient records that we have discovered in archaeology from the Medo-Persian Empire that that decree was issued, we would translate it as March 5th, 444 B.C. We have that record. We know exactly. It corresponds to the month of Nisan, the whole bit. Okay. Fast forward 173,880 days. 483 years. By the way, this is, if you're really following this and this is exciting your brain, you're going, wait a minute, you know, I can do the math. This, that's not the right number of years. They're on a lunar calendar, not the Julian calendar that we know. Another bit of tedium. Sorry, just hang with me. So we go all these days forward, 483 years. That takes us to March 30th, 33 AD. March 30th, 33 AD. This is when, so so remember, March 30th, this is like, this should start to sound a little bit familiar. 33 AD, Jesus is still, but this is when Jesus, to the day, rode in to Jerusalem on the donkey with them shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, and laying down the palm leaves in front of him. The first time Jesus publicly accepted worship as the Messiah. To the day. Remember all the stories of Jesus when he's casting out demons and they say, hey, we know who you are. It's not my time. It's not my time. That's not just some sort of false humility on Jesus' part. He's talking about Daniel chapter 9. It's not time yet. The prophecy has not been complete yet. We haven't gotten to the end of the 483rd year. But they did that day. And that's why when the scribes and the Pharisees said, tell these people to be quiet. Remember this? Remember that part of the story? Remember Jesus' response? 
If they're quiet, even the very stones will cry out. Why? Because today is the day the prophecy is fulfilled. It has to be. They have to cry out to me as the Messiah because today is the day. And it was triggered, that time period was triggered from the issuing of the decree to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Remember Nehemiah? He just had a burden on his heart, right? (laughs) He just had a burden on his heart for the people and the walls in Jerusalem. Was he familiar with Daniel's prophecy? Maybe, maybe not. Had he done the math? Did he know? No, I doubt that. I doubt that. He just felt a burden for the walls and the people. So this ordinary guy that had a burden on his heart for some more ordinary people (laughs) in the the walls around this city that was so significant was absolutely vital in this grand arc of 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 history story about the coming of the Messiah and I am going to show up. And so this whole thing, I mean, the the Messiah is it, right? I mean, that's what everybody, we want the Messiah to come. Nehemiah played a role in that and it started with the, in his perspective, started with the burden on his heart. So, so there's, but and there's more to the end of this prophecy, and we're not going to dive into the depths of Daniel chapter nine prophecy today. But understand that there's this grand story taking place behind the scenes, and this ordinary guy gets used by God to play an absolutely vital role in that story, unbeknownst to him. And it all has to do with God establishing his kingdom here. I'm going to interject my kingdom now. I'm going to set things right. Because it hadn't been right, right? That's why they got kicked out of the pool in the first place, right? 70 years in exile. Now you're, now you're starting to think in terms of seven with me. You go, wait a minute, 70 years. Well, that's kind of interesting. Because that would equal like you know, 490 years of, Something else, you know. So, so, so here's the here's the, okay. It's a bit tedious, but you're gonna like this because you can see how God weaves all of this together. You don't have to turn here with me, but I'm gonna to go to the end of Second Kings real quick. And this, at the end of Second Kings, is when everybody uh, is uh, is being cast out. <clears throat> Sorry, maybe it's Second Chronicles. I get the two of them confused a little bit. Uh, yep, Second Chronicles. Bear with me. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I'm struggling with the second. It's in a different study Bible of mine, but um, so the point at the end when everybody's being cast out, and you can go back and find it and check me on this. When everybody's being cast out and they're hauled off into captivity, there's a passage in here that says, and then the land had its rest. Had its rest. This is, we're talking about the Sabbath year, the, the year of Jubilee, right? So you think the Sabbath year, which there's no record that they ever honored that until we get to Nehemiah. 
490 years worth of no Sabbath year equals 70 years of land having its rest, right? So what was happening 490 years before they got kicked out of the pool? It's roughly, and I can't put an exact date to it, but it's right about the time when God was talking to Samuel. Remember Samuel? This is when the nation of Israel is saying, we want a king like all the other nations. We want a king like all the other nations. And Samuel's going, no, we're not supposed to do that. The Lord's our king. It's the judges. And the Lord tells Samuel, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Give them what they want. Give them a king. That was 490 years before they got kicked out of the pool. For that whole time period that they had the reins, they never honored the kingdom of God. They never did the year of Jubilee. They never did the Sabbath years. And the Lord said, enough, the land is going to have its rest. 70 years, everybody's out. 490 years later, Daniel chapter 9, we're still in the middle of all that. But the point is, the kingdom showed up. You remember what Jesus said when he showed up and he was talking about the kingdom? Come to me, all you who are, you, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. There's so much going on to this story, but it's all about the kingdom of God and him establishing his kingdom among us so that his rule and his reign will restore us into right relationship with him, right relationship with each other, all to his glory. And our, our friend Nehemiah played a critical role in that because of the burden on his heart. So how does this apply to us? Well, if, you're not, if you haven't connected with me yet, you know that burden on your heart that God's given you for something? That you have no ability to pull off on your own? Right, because Nehemiah couldn't write the check for these walls, right? You may have no idea how that connects with this bigger story of the kingdom of God breaking in to our world now. So my encouragement to us as a community is to not dismiss whatever it is that burdens you. When you look at something, you say, that's not right. That should change. Whatever that is, it doesn't matter. Whatever that burden on your heart is, when you see things that aren't right and you just wish you could do something about it, but you can't because you don't have the resources, you don't have the, the power, the time, the whatever. Don't dismiss that. Let it burden your heart. Take it before the Lord. Pray about it. Talk about it. Do what you can about it. But don't dismiss it just because you don't have the ability to pull it off. God worked through Nehemiah to get a foreign king to write the check to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. If that doesn't just sound like the most preposterous thing you've ever heard of, you need to go back and read the story again. It is ridiculous that that would happen. Don't dismiss that burden on your heart. 
And if you can't do anything about it, just let it burden your heart for a while. That's okay. That's okay. Because maybe, just maybe, there's a much, much bigger story taking place. And we're blind to it, but you have no idea what role that burden on your heart is going to play because that's where God always starts. He starts, read, read the book. He always starts with a burden on somebody's heart. He doesn't start with a program. He didn't say, you know what? I'm going to map out this wall building program. I'm going to look for somebody to run it for me. That's not what God does. God finds somebody with a burden on their heart that can't do it without him and says, go get him, Tiger. I'm with you. So let's not dismiss our burdens. Let's share them with each other. Let's pray about them. And let's ask the Lord to show up and do what the Lord only can do. And who knows what role we get to play in that. Jesus, we thank you. Oh, we thank you that for whatever reason, in your infinite wisdom, you have invited us to play along. We get to play in the story. And it's not because you need us, and it's not because we have to be there. It's just because you love us, and it's for our benefit that we get to play and watch you work through us in the lives of other people. So, Lord, forgive us for being short-sighted. Help us to be patient. Help us to rest in you. But, Lord, don't let those burdens die in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for our time together this morning. Um, You know, that struck a chord with somebody and you want to